Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, um, uh, my name is Brian. We haven't met yet. I'm our discipleship pastor, as Jimmy said, at our McKenzie campus. And I actually grew up in a church about this size. So coming here, this is my first time at Ormo for a service, and it feels like home already. And I don't just say that to try and win you over, because you want to get the preacher to be on side first up. But there is something about gathering as a church like this, where your name is known and your story is known by the people sitting around you. That's just so important. And uh, at a McKenzie campus, we're a bit bigger than this. Uh, but I love getting to come out and visit campuses, because it reminds me of my life when I grow up. And reminds me of my church family that formed and shaped me as a young disciple and as a person of faith. So thanks for making me feel so welcomed here today already. Um, talking about family, I just want to introduce you to my family. This is Mercy. She's be on the screen behind me. Uh, she's a bit of a stunner. Uh, it's a bit of a family affair around here. She's the youngest daughter of Tim and Chris Hanna. Uh, I'm also related, brother-in-law to Sal and Jono, who are here today. It's a bit of a family affair around Gateway. Um, but I have, honestly, the best wife because she buys me gifts. She has bought me my favorite gift she's ever given me before, actually. It's a float voucher. Anyone been on a float before? Yeah, one one hand up down here. A float is amazing. There's a picture behind me on the screen as well of me in a float tank. This is like a room they lock you in for an hour. You can turn off the lights and float in this pool and just float. Now, think of it, imagine this for a second. It's, It's 400 kilograms of Epsom salts in this little pool. So it's really buoyant. It's more buoyant than the Dead Sea, in fact. Um, the air and the water temperature is set to 34.5 degrees, which is your body temperature. So when you're lying in this pool, you cannot feel where the air stops, the water starts, and your body starts. You're kind of floating in this weird kind of <laughs> space. It's very strange. You're just floating there. But the key to it is like sensory deprivation. So you turn all the lights off, and you're floating there in the complete dark and complete weightlessness, and you're just alone with your mind. And that sounds scary to some people. I get that. But for me, it's bliss. I can just turn my brain off. Last time I went, I actually went on Friday, um, uh, last of my gift voucher that I got given, I actually fell asleep for about 50 minutes. But they reckon that an hour or 90 minutes in one of these tanks is equivalent to a whole night's sleep of uninterrupted sleep. It's pretty cool. If you can't get on it, get on one. Get your significant other to get you a float voucher because it's amazing. Now, I sound like a salesman for floating, don't I? But there's a bit of truth to that. We sell and we become salespeople about what we love and what we enjoy. We tell stories about what we love and what we enjoy. And for followers of Jesus, we've got something that's even better than floating to share. (laughs) We've got something of eternal significance to share with those around us. No matter what story the world offers, yes, even floating, we're invited into a better story and have a better story to share. As Christians, we've been invited into a different, particular, and distinct kind of story. It's a story that's wonderful, full of uh, sacrifice, redemption, a story that provides great meaning, purpose, and hope for all humanity. It's a story that changes me, it changes us, it changes everything. So we've been journeying over this better story over the last seven weeks, and this is our last week. How do we share the better story? Well, to begin, we actually need to be open to the story itself. We're going to actually spend a bit of time unpacking Luke chapter 24 from verse 13 today. So if you've got your Bible there, feel free to open it up. It'll also be on the screen behind me. But this is actually one of my favorite stories in Scripture, period. It's the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified. 
So starting at verse 13, uh, I invite you to follow along with me. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had just happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. We're going to pause here. This story begins with a distinct mood, doesn't it? You can feel it as you read. Their eyes are downcast on the road, kicking up the dust in front of them. They take steps after desperate step because their world has just crumbled around them. It's the third day since the crucifixion. And you can imagine all the things the last few days that are going over and over in their mind, their self-talk in their head. Um, Wave after wave of anguish, frustration, doubt, hurt, confusion and pain are just sunk in their gut thinking things like, surely he was the one. He was the one who was going to set us all free. How could they possibly have been mistaken? And now the confusion's become worse because um, strange reports of his body missing and angels appearing. Uh, The women telling the story of the tomb, it's merely a disturbing extra piece of the puzzle on top of the deep sorrow and disappointment they're already feeling. They're feeling sad, let down, possibly even angry. And each word on the road as they're looking at this ground drives them deeper and deeper into despair. And I wonder if we have stories like that. Stories of bitter disappointment in our life, where each word or thought we think is like poison to our very soul. In this moment of despair, these disciples are on the road, and suddenly a stranger appears to them. And I can't help but wonder if he seems a little bit familiar to them, like they've met him somewhere before, but they can't quite place it as they walk along. And this stranger asked them, what are you talking about? And you can imagine the tone of the disciples' response, right? Are you mad? Don't you know what's going on around here? Have you been living under a rock, mate? I can't help, but if um, they just spend some time there, just frustrated, what is going on? How do you not know everything that's going on in our lives? It's happening in the world right now. Don't you know the things that we are going through, they say? Then I think in what is the most profound words of Jesus in Scripture... Jesus says to them, what things? Tell me the things. Tell me the things that are going on in your world right now. And I find this to be funny because I reckon Jesus would have a smirk on his face because he's the one who knows the things, right? He was the one they're actually talking about. He was the one who hung on the cross, who was whipped, left alone, crucified, scorned and forgotten. But here he is, the risen Jesus, standing right in front of them. If only they would have eyes to see it. And then he asked them in honesty, what things? Tell me, tell me what things. Tell me the story that's going on for you right now. 
It's in this moment that reminds me and hopefully reminds us that Jesus knows even better than you do the things going on in your life right now. And even though God knows the things going on in life, He actually loves you to tell Him in prayer. Like these two disciples, it helps put our focus back on our Savior, on the one who knows our story. But all too often, we are so close to His story and so focused on ourselves that we forget the story we belong to. We've all got things in life that steal our focus from Jesus. Pressures of study or work, keeping enough money coming in to pay the bills, doubts and worries and anxiety steal our focus and steal our joy. Sickness can make us retreat to what's going inside us physically, and carrying offense makes us focus squarely on what I'm owed or what I didn't get. Unforgiveness limits our view of hope and binds us in past hurts. And yet he's literally held and hung on the cross for every single one of those hurts and things and sin for us. He's held it, he's dealt with it, and he's cast it off. In all of these situations and more, when our eyes are downcast, focusing solely and squarely on the situations in front of us, Jesus appears and walks with us. He walks beside us, like he did with these two disciples on the road. Step by step, reminding us of who he is and who we are, that we are loved, forgiven, and free because of what Jesus has done for us. He reminds you that you are not abandoned, you are not alone in the things in life that weigh you down or keep your eyes downcast. The Jesus who was abandoned and alone on the cross will never abandon you. He will never abandon you because ultimately he knows what it's like. He's literally been there and he walks alongside you even in this very moment right now. He dwells within you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And he calls us to lift our eyes as he walks with us the whole way along the journey. And even though he's there with us, the things on the road will still be there. So often we get discouraged by things like cancer, war, poverty, pain, looking for things like money in our bank accounts. We have doubts and questions about it. But in these moments, we have to trust and lift our eyes to Jesus help us see a bit further along the destination than we see right now. To have our eyes fixed on the one who has been, been perfecting your story since the very beginning. So to share the story, we must be open to it ourselves. More than that, we actually need this story to become our story. To let the power of it lift our eyes from our circumstance and back to the author and perfecter of this better story. This has to be our starting point, to be changed by the story itself. But we don't just need to be open to it and let it change us, change our hearts. We actually need to know it in our minds as well. We need to know the story. We're going to continue on in the Emmaus story up to verse 25. Read along with me. It says, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh man, wouldn't you want to be a fly on the wall for that sermon? As he's walking along, you're hearing the best bits about life and faith, and he's just talking about them with his disciples. Man, reminding them about the whole of the story itself. My question to us today is, how well do we know the story? How well do we know it? Do we know it in here and in here? Uh, when working for SU, I actually took the time. We had got a piece of artwork we had commissioned for SU, working at Scripture Union. 
And we had to kind of come up with a picture of the narrative that would go alongside and be read out with this artwork. And I had the privilege of being able to write and then record that voiceover. But as we've been going through this series and hearing the story week by week, up this week, week seven, I've decided to go back to that piece of writing and rejig it and rework it to get the words of the story in my own words. And I've got to tell you, knowing the story and putting it in your own words is one of the most fruitful things you can ever do. Because the story doesn't become something that's sitting in our Bible, it becomes something alive in each and every one of us. What I'd like to do for the next five minutes, if you'll indulge me, is to read the story in my own words. Because for me, it's helped me own and ground the story for myself, and there'll be a challenge at the end. Just I invite you, just, maybe just take, get yourself comfortable, just sit and listen to these words. Because it is the story of the one who loves us. In the beginning, God spoke. Into the nothingness, he spoke, and a thriving cosmos burst into being. God created everything, setting time, space, and life itself into motion. His words shaped reality, light, dark, sea, sky, land, plants, and animals, just as he had imagined. And then again, God spoke. He molded and breathed into the dust, bringing life to humankind. He gave us a special place, making us his image bearers, a unique combination of the dirt and the divine. And he invited us into partnership with himself to play a vital role in keeping that creation whole. See, each part of creation in itself was good. But when God saw it all in motion, working together in its entirety, with humanity at the center of creation as its caretakers, he thought it was very good. He had brought forth a healthy, happy, and harmonious universe. It was heaven and earth come together as one. But then the story takes a pivotal turn, a choice made in a significant moment. On the surface, it's got something to do with a snake and a tree and some fruit. But underneath it all, God's image bearers are making their biggest choice ever. To be who God made them to be or not. And they chose not. And this changed everything. Suddenly things weren't right. They'd always been naked, but now they felt naked, so they hid themselves away. Their connection to God, each other, and the world around them had suffered. Life wasn't as healthy, happy, or harmonious as it had been before. Heaven and earth no longer came together as one, but were driven apart. It was still good, but God's creation began to unravel around them. So what does a loving God do? Did he rant and rave as is his right? Did he storm off, leaving them all alone? No, his first impulse was to search them out and move towards them in the garden in their confusion and their shame. And this movement of God towards his people in their brokenness is God's pattern down through history, down through all the centuries. He established a covenant promise with his people to be with them, but they kept choosing their own way. So in the darkness, in the brokenness, of the world and the evil of our own hearts, God does the unthinkable and enters the story himself. He enters as Jesus Christ. God's own son. Somehow the miracle and mystery of being fully human and fully divine, he's God in the flesh. Jesus performs miracles that heal the sick, make the blind see, and makes the broken whole. He ventures to the margins and the lonely places to comfort the lonely, restore dignity, and proclaim the inherent God-given value of every single life. Yet in that point in history, humanity still rejects God and feared losing their own power to be free to choose for themselves. So again, we choose our own way 
and we killed Jesus. Not just any death, but the most violent death possible, death by crucifixion. Jesus hung in our place for all of our failures, all of it. He took the blame and absorbed evil in love. He crucified to cover our sin. On the cross, he took the worst the world could throw at him, but after all, he rose from the dead, demonstrating that death was defeated and the story would go on. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has cosmic implications. Yet most importantly, our lives are already to be restored and transformed through his love. In Jesus, we see the life that God originally tended for all of creation, a life of significant meaning and purpose, of identity and freedom, a freedom in which we can be loved by all the unfathomable fullness of God. All of this is found in believing and accepting the love of Jesus that is found in all his sacrifice for us. This new life transforms us all from the inside out. We have fine habits and addictions that once rule us begin to hold us a little less because we allow Jesus to hold us a little tighter still. We find life not being easy or magically perfected, but we find life to be richer and more meaningful where the highs are sweetened and the lows are softened because God is always with us and we can live in community with one another. We still live in a world that is broken and in desperate need of saving. We do. We can see it around us. It's where cancer, disappointment, war, poverty, and all kinds of sin and brokenness still exist. But in the face of this brokenness, Jesus continues to bring healing to our own lives and calls each and every one of us to do the work of bringing God's rightness back into the world. God shows us through Jesus the way that we can bring the good news of God from heaven to earth again and cultivate God's kingdom right here and right now to the benefit of all people, creatures, and the entire planet. He sends more of himself through the Holy Spirit to restore relationships, help mend the broken planet and broken hearts. See, this is our mission, to leave the world a little bit better than when we found it, bringing glory to God. We live with the knowledge that one day soon Jesus will come and restore everything for good. A restored earth with no more pain, no more sin, no brokenness, only God's peace, purpose and flourishing for those who have responded to this story. But for us, his people, there's no waiting until the story's happy ending. We have a mission right now to give the world a preview of heaven. As Christians, we follow this reality to change how we live, work and play in this world. Always pointing to Jesus and becoming part of his good news story to see everything set right. To share the story, we need to know the story. Do you know it, friends? Do you know the story like you know the back of your own hand? Do you know it deep within you? Do you know it deep within your heart and your soul, the story of God's resurrection and salvation from the very beginning right to now, right to the very end when everything gets set right? Do you know it? I'm not just saying, do you read your Bible and do you just see it there in front of you? Do you know it in your heart and your mind? Does it speak to you when, you when you walk down the street, when you go in movie theaters? Does God's story speak to you about what you're seeing? This story permeates every part of our life. And when we know it, when we really know it, like capital N-O-W, know it. When we know it, it changes us completely. To share the story, we have to know the story deeply, profoundly, and passionately. So I wonder if a challenge for us today is when we walk out of this, this building today, how are we going to know it? Maybe you want to go for a walk in the mornings, in the afternoons, pop on some AirPods and listen to the story being read to you. Put on the message version if you like, if it's an easy way to hear it, but let Scripture speak to you as you walk and go about your day. 
Maybe you need to try journaling, writing down as you read scripture, just writing down what you've just read in your own words. Maybe you want to write a story like I've written. Maybe it doesn't need to be that long. (laughs) It can be shorter. What is the story in a minute? Two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. What is the story in your own words? Because when you own the story, you become part of it. And when you become part of it, we can share it because we get to live the story as well. Let's keep reading from Luke chapter 24 up to verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. I can't help but think, surely, surely, when they sit down to eat, it'll start coming back to them about who this guy is, um, where, they've met this, where, the, where they've met this stranger before. Surely, as they start to remember other meals they might have had on the road, that bread and fish picnic that happened a while ago, where 5,000 people were fed, or hearing the story from the other 12 disciples um, who shared in that last supper in an upstairs room just days before, where the apostles gathered frightened when he spoke of things they did not understand and did not want to hear, when he passed the cup and broke the bread, surely it would come back to them. Well, it is in the breaking of the bread that does it. It's when he breaks the bread that they finally remember where they had met this man before. It's the master. It's the author of our story. When the flesh of the bread is torn and the crumbs fall to the table, it's then that their eyes are finally opened and they can see what's really happening. It's when he breaks the bread with them that they are brought back from the shadows of death and they realize that life has won. There's something about inviting someone to eat that talks of kinship, talks of friendship, relationship, and family. It's not until the familiar meal, the return relationship, and restored hope found in community with Jesus that their eyes are open and they recognize him. And then he disappears from their sight. (laughs) Now, not only are their bellies full, but their hearts are full of hope and wonder because Jesus was restored to them and he'd been walking with them all along. See, Jesus serves them in their time of need and reveals himself when they are in relational community with one another. He invites them to live the story again. Anne Voskamp, a a writer and theologian, puts it like this. She says, Our theology is best expressed in our hospitality, in our open-handedness, open-heartedness, and open doors. When we open our lives to Jesus and his better story and choose to live it out, It changes hearts, others, and our own. This is why life groups that come into church and choosing to keep showing up is so important to our growing faith. Because we are designed to be in relationship with one another and with God through Jesus in a community. Showing up matters, friends. But at the same time, on the other side of the coin, when we live the story poorly, it can have serious and damaging consequences, both to ourselves and the witness we share beyond, beyond our own walls. The Christian research organization, the Barna Group, uh, conducted some research from young adults in America fairly recently, actually, and you can read about uh, all this research and findings in their fantastic book, Faith for Exiles. Get on it, it's a great book. Young adults were asked about the biggest roadblocks to their faith, and do you, know what, do you want to know what the winner was? The biggest roadblock to faith was hypocrisy of Christians. It was right there at the top of the list, One of the comments in the research said, how can this person who has taught me everything I know about Jesus, 
who has now fallen from grace so publicly and done such terrible and reprehensible things. How can I trust anything they've ever said? Knife to the heart, right? How we live the story matters. We've got too many stories and examples, and I'm not going to name them, of people who are famous Christians who've fallen from faith, fallen from grace lately. But that's the number one thing that stops people from coming to faith and hearing the story itself. How we live the story matters. The book of Revelation reminds us how in the end, Christ and we overcome the enemy, the one who tries to deceive us and make us think that we are the heroes of our own story. Revelation 12, 11 says, They triumphed over him, the deceiver, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I'm going to read that again because that is a challenge and a half, right? They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Effectively, the victory of Jesus on the cross and the way in which we share the story, our story, the story we belong to, is the way in which God brings rightness and winning in the end. What a powerful thought that the love of Christ who has given up everything for us is not the only thing that causes the victory, but it's our testimony of that story. What a challenge that is to us to share and live the story well. I um, loved our celebration night we had a few weeks ago. Uh, actually, that was last week, wasn't it? Um, man, time flies quickly. Uh, because it showed us so many of our Gateway Beyond workers are here in our community, nation, and world. But many of them, like Janine's story we saw with her face blurred out today because she's uh, trying to keep her security good because she's literally facing life and death over there. People, they have not shrunk away from death, as Revelation puts it, but are going above and beyond to live out the better story with the word of their testimony. And next Sunday, we're going to gather as one church in many locations to bring our commitment uh, and to give generously to see God's work continue to completely change lives here and around the world. Why? Because we're living a better story and sharing it with people right here in our communities across the nation and all around the globe. We have people who have chosen to lay down their life and go and live this better story for someone else. They didn't love their lives so much as to shirk away from death. We have the chance next week to give into that work. Work that, I don't know about you, sounds pretty scary. I'm not sure if I'm called to do that. Go to, go to a different country in the Middle East and share like that. But what we can do is share it and live it right here, right now, and give generously next week to see others participate in that life-changing story. But at the end of the day, the best way we can share the story is to actually share it. Let's go to verse 32. They asked each other, were they better? They just heard Jesus and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told of what had happened on the way to Emmaus and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. They ran back at once to Jerusalem. It's pretty late, right? So they're running in the middle of the night to get back to share the good news of the risen Christ. What a transformation from the beginning of the story with their eyes downcast, stuck in their circumstance on the road, to now where they're sprinting back to the place where they're worried about persecution coming and they're worried about the loss of the risen Christ. They're running back to the place to share the story. 
There's a narrative that I think that we buy into that keeps us from uh, focusing on sharing the things of Jesus and sharing the story. I think we're being told everywhere that sharing the story is just too hard. I think we're told by the media, I think we're told by stats, I think we're told by even our elders at times that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and no one believes the God story anymore. We don't have the courage to share the better story for fear of rejection and that's true. But the data actually tells us a bit of a different story. On the screen you see behind me is the census data from the last census. Um, if you can't quite see it, feel free to take a photo if you like. It is available on Recrindle Research too if you'd like to see it. But you can see up here, um, the green section is the kind of the Christian-based section and the blue section is the, the lack of faith or growing faith or not religious section. Now, it's true that every year we are seeing uh, the, the, the no religion grow slightly. It's up to 22% in, in the last survey. But what you can see here is that's not the end of the story. That's not the whole story. 22% of people say, I don't have faith and I don't believe in it, full stop, bang. I think we believe that's most people. But it's 22% who've responded on the, on the census survey. Look at the data here for a second. Look at that whole green section. Let's go to the middle green section, actually. 59% have got faith and belief. That's everyone from active practice, active practices who are always involved with church, mostly every week. 15% who go at least monthly. So there's a chunk of people there. But then there's people who've responded, I come from Christian heritage, and the Christian heritage is part of my story. Plus, the 14% on the top blue, the top right there, spiritual but not religious. They're people who believe in a higher power but are searching for and seeking meaning. So if we look at this data here, well, yes, that, that portion is growing, but more than 59% of people walking down the street, if every second person you would see walking down the street is roughly likely to say, hey, I resonate or recognize or I'm interested in that story. That's crazy to us. We don't think of it like that. We think we've got to share the story to that 22% who don't have faith. But when we share and open and live our life story, open up with 59% of people, they're open to the story. We've got to get better at practicing the story with these people. We're not trying to win over that 22% straight away or the 9% who don't know what's going on. Yes, sure, there's a challenge in that. But every second person you walk down the street, according to these stats of the census data that everyone responds to, 59% of people, every second person you walk down the street is at least open to the story. Now, I've been trying this out a little bit lately. And yes, I've had some people knock me back. But I've had more people say, hey, tell me a bit more about that, or I've been interested in the story. More than half of the people I've tried to, who I've got in my life sharing the story with now are opening up to the story. My question is, well, I suppose we're not really called to go on soapboxes and stand and kind of shout on a soapbox. Actually, please don't do that. I'm not sure that's the best witness for Jesus. Uh, but Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who hears. Because everyone is called to share the good news with someone. Who is your someone? I've been sharing them with a lot of someones lately. I've been really challenged by this word. But my one someone at the moment is my granddad. He's on the screen. This is my granddad, Ron. Ron Harris. He is 97 years old. Um, he is fitter than me, actually. He has got better cholesterol than I do. He takes less medication than I do. He takes a vitamin D tablet once a day because he needs to get more sun. That's all he takes. He's fit as a fiddle. Uh, he flew big Sunderland aircraft in World War II. And he's got incredible stories. Uh, and he's a man of such integrity, kindness, and generosity. I, I love him 
so much. But Grandad hasn't been to church in about 75 years. And last year, because he's interested in me, he's a great granddad, asked me, Brad, what's going on with church right now with COVID locking everything down? I said, well, we're doing church online. For the first time in, in three quarters of a century, my granddad came to church through Gateway Online. Checked it out just to see what was going on. My grandma passed away a few years ago and he's beginning to ask questions by watching Gateway Online and, 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 and hearing stories from our family. I've been calling him a lot more to kind of ask him how he's going. I've been meeting with him not anywhere near as much as I'd like to. I've been praying for him, and recently he's asked me to pray for him and one of his friends in the aged care facility who's become sick. Two weeks ago, he asked me for a Bible. And I'm meeting with him next week to share the story with him. My 97-year-old granddad. My granddad's my someone. Who's your someone? We're not called to reach every person everywhere always. We're called to reach the ones. We're all called to reach someone with the good news and the story somewhere. Who is your someone? The book of Romans ends with chapter 16, and we often just skip over it because it's just a lot of goodbyes and farewells. Because there's a bunch of names here, and they're hard to pronounce names. But each name in this list in Romans 16 is a name that Paul shared the story with. And each name on the list is someone who continued to share the story well after Paul was gone. These faithful women and men were all the first evangelists, the first preachers, the first teachers, and the first pastoral carers of the church. And my question to us today as a church is, are we going to join the Romans church? Are we going to join these people in Romans chapter 16? Will you join names like Priscilla and Aquila? Two ladies who risked so much to share the story. Mary, Andronicus, Junias, who spent, even time, spent some time in prison for the good news. Ampliatus, Aristobulus, Herodian, Narcissus. Typhrena and Typhosa and Perseus, all women who shared work and worked hard for the Lord. Rufus, Asinstratus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, Philologus, Julia, Nerus and Olympus. All women and men who shared the story and lived it out. Will you join them today? Will you join, will I join them today? Will you share the story? Everyone is called to share the story with someone. Who is your someone? I'd love to invite you just right now to close your eyes and ask God to speak to you right now. Ask the Lord, who is my someone? God, show me who is that one person I can in my life right now, who I have a relationship with, who I have a connection with, who I can share the story with in the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. Who is my one person? Picture their face in your, in your mind. Picture the time and place you hope to share with them. And I wonder if right now you'll respond because I actually think this message of Jesus, the story of God through all creation is a story that almost demands a response of us. To share the story with someone. And I wonder if right now, if there is someone in your mind, in your heart right now, you just want to picture, you want to share the story with. If you stand with me, with for my granddad, who's the one in my heart, if you stand in your place right now and just say, Lord, Use me, give me courage to share this with one person. 
And why don't you stand right now, just where you are, on behalf of that one person. That one person in your heart. And ask, Lord, use me. Help me to share the story. And I'll be praying for you as you've got that one person in your mind. And I ask you to pray for my granddad as I share with him in the weeks to come. But who's the one person? I'd love to pray for you today. Is that okay? Lord Jesus, for every person standing here who has that someone on their heart, that someone who can know the good news and the life and resurrection of Jesus, I want to pray for courage. I want to pray for wisdom. I want to pray for boldness to share your story with them. I pray that they would know that they have everything they need in Christ Jesus already to be able to do that. They don't need a degree. They don't need to read more Bible. They don't need to do anything else extra to do it. They just need to go in relationship and community with that person and share. God, I pray for every conversation that's going to happen, for every moment around a coffee table, every moment in a coffee shop, every moment in an aged care facility. God, may they be holy and sacred moments of sharing your story. I pray this. In your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're about to sing and finish. I invite everyone just to stand where you are as well as we come to worship. But maybe um, there wasn't someone who came to mind. Maybe as we sing this song, it's this song called King of Kings. It's actually the story from beginning to end, a beautiful words of what this story actually is that we belong to. As you sing it, let the words wash over you. Sing it loud. Sing it with, with abandon because this is the story but be asking the Lord to show you who's your one person. Who can I share the story with this week? Let's worship together and let the story wash over us. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.